Hello, everyone, and welcome to Call in the Night Boys with me, Gavin, and my good friend, Nick. Hello, Nick. Hello. Fuck. And the dogs. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Rick Randall, and this is Rock and Roll High School. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Call in the Night Boys with me, Gavin, and my friend, Nick. Hello, Nick. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, so the topic for this particular podcast was one that I came up with, um, but I think we had kind of different ideas about how to interpret it, which I think is interesting. And certainly when I've mentioned it to other people, I think they probably shared your idea about how to interpret the topic. So my idea was um, about films that um, are made exclusively with the idea of being vehicles for pop stars, essentially promoting their music. But I think you, you kind of interpreted it in a slightly different way, if I'm right, Nick. I did. And what, what was your sort of conception of what, what, what this would be about? I just thought it would be pop stars in films and maybe they would have some of their songs in. But I was thinking of um, David Bowie and The Man Who Fell to Earth and things like that. And Grace Jones in Vamp, which I haven't seen, but I wanted to see for this podcast, but I didn't. Because I think that there's quite a lot of those kind of films and it would be difficult to narrow them down, which I suppose is why I came up with this slightly reductive theme. You know, Bowie was in quite a lot of movies, really. Yeah. It never seemed to be that they served as, as a vehicle for his songs. I don't actually know if he actually sang any of his songs. I don't... Whoa, 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 whoa. Labyrinth. Dance, baby, dance. You remind me of the babe. Babe with the power. Power of voodoo. You do. Remind me of the babe. Oh, right. But was that his song? Or was that yeah, his yeah, song? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. his song, yeah. yeah. All right, I'll take, dance, I'll take it baby, back. Dance. I don't know. Was, Sting was in a few films, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a rich history of... Um, cameos by musicians of the era which probably goes back to you know the golden era of hollywood you know a lot of the film noirs film uh, featured kind of big name stars mm. usually singers sinatra yeah exactly well I, yeah I'm, but you know sinatra is an actor but i you know in the sort of musical musical interlude in a film noir you'd often have a singer or a pianist or you know other musician who, oh, yeah. would do a, who would do a sort of spot uh, in a nightclub or something mm. where where they play one of their songs or maybe even their latest tune. But I, I don't think it was, and I might be wrong here, I don't think it was until sort of the, I guess, late 50s when Elvis started doing his movies that you had something that just featured um, a single artist and was really just there to present them as an artist. Mm. I mean, it's been many, many years since I've watched an Elvis movie, um, so I'm probably not capable of assessing how effective they were, but it seemed like they always had fairly flimsy plots um, that really just served as a sort of backdrop to introducing each new song. And in a way, the Beatles movies were a bit like that as well, but they, they sort of had a, a bit more of a surreal kind of edge to them which made them a bit more interesting to me i think jailhouse rock um is quite solid i believe yeah i haven't seen that since i was a kid but when it goes all the way to 1967's clam bake um, yes now i haven't seen this but <laughs> what's the uh, what's the premise of clam bake he's sort of on the run from his rich daddy okay <laughs> elvis who grew up uh, quite poor and he goes down to Florida and he makes a boat or something. And then he meets this woman and she's trying to cheat this millionaire out of stuff. You just said the magic word. Bambake? Yeah. It's Elvis cooking up a storm of entertainment in Clambake. Elvis throws the wildest beach party since they invented the bikini and the beat. I mean, I, I know a couple of dedicated Elvis fans and they say it's really the nadir. You know, not even the corpulent um, 
and crapulent uh, Elvis of 1976-77 is quite as bad as the Elvis of Clambake. So it's just before his comeback, you know, it's like a year before his comeback. So he's kind of really going through the motions. Uh... But I suppose the thing about the Elvis films is actually, even though it was a sort of thinly veiled version of himself, he was always playing a character of some kind, wasn't he? They, they always had a different name. He was never like Elvis playing Elvis. It, he'd be called Mike, Mike or something. Yeah, unlike the Beatles in their films, yeah, they were always John Paul, George, and Ringo. Have you seen? Because uh, I remember a lot of talk about this in the sort of the playground or the common room, maybe it was at, at that stage um, at school, um, when possibly Channel Four screens the Monkeys film Head. I haven't actually seen it, but I've heard it's pretty pretty far out. I do believe it's wrong, definitely. Standing around and laughing at someone, infringing on people's rights. They laugh at you, or they uh, jump out of cars, they rob you. Somebody come up and giggle at you. That's a violation of your civil rights. Gunbait. That's what the world is full of. That's what it's based on. That's what this economy is based on. Are you telling me that you don't see the connection between government and laughing at people? Listen, somewhere they got a hang-up. I would take my belt off and I would wham! The Monkeys film, I think they came to terms with it right at the end. One of them's died now, hasn't they? haven't they? But um, uh, they hated it because it basically spelt the end of their career. That's what they said. Um, uh, it was co-written okay. by Jack Nogelson. And was it Bob Raffleson or something? And it's totally okay. surreal. It's a total piss take out of their manufactured image. There's scenes of them in Vietnam. Um, there's scene that for some reason, Victor Mature is a giant who keeps trying to squash them with his giant foot. Okay. Um, Frank Zappa turns up with a cow at one point. But it's certainly, I mean, as long as you don't expect any storyline, each little segment is actually quite entertaining. It's like a really freaked out version of their TV show. I mean, okay. totally, you know, with no plot or anything. It's just s- mad stuff happening to them. What else can we throw into this film? You know. But as far as they were concerned, it was it was kind of like the anti-star vehicle. <clears throat> it uh, caused their, their star to, to fall rather than... Um... To, be honest, to be honest, I think they, 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 they blamed it too much because I think the tide was turning mm. because it was like, no, no, pop music and rock and roll is really serious. You know, uh, say you know because the Beach Boys also fell out of favour around that time as well for a while. Uh, do, do you know when it was made? Uh, 67, 68, something. Like right. That. Okay. Yeah. So sort of. So that's uh, the thing. So, so suddenly you've got serious rock and serious albums and Hendrix and Cream and you know, um, and you don't want to be farting around with um, manufactured bands. Little did they know that 50 years later, everyone would be in a, uh, manufactured. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Which brings us nicely on to um, some of the films that I asked, stroked, forced you to watch, um, and some of the films I, I watched myself. Which I think perfectly exemplify why this can be a terrible reason to make a film. So um, I think I'm not going to go through them chronologically, but uh, the first one I watched was um and i think you watched also was the the spice girls movie spice world which was made in the late 90s 1997 and this is a good example of uh a vehicle which exists to promote something which in itself is not that remarkable i mean you know there's a lot of there's a legion of spice spice girls fans out there um but as manufactured bands go you know i, I don't think you would argue that they are the greatest musical talents. Um, I wouldn't the say that they, I wouldn't say that they were they were the worst manufactured band either. No, no. But I, um, I suppose what I'm saying is like that none of them were particularly musically gifted. Um, maybe with the exception of um, one of the Mel's Sporty Spice. I should know what her actual name is. Mel C. Um, it was written by Kim Fuller, who's the, the brother of Simon Fuller, who is the sort of the manager and uh, impresario behind the, the Spice Girls. And there's two quotes. Is, it, is he still alive, Simon Fuller? I don't know. I thought maybe he was like absorbed into um, the that other guy. No, that other guy who wears high-waisted trousers. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Simon Cowell. Yeah, I thought they'd become one. Columbia Pictures presents The Spice Girls. All right, we're coming. In their film debut, Victoria, Emma, Mel B, Jerry, and Mel C. They're ready for action. Go, power! They're dressed to kill. Or so yeah, what was your um, what was your impression of Spice World? In your notes that you kindly showed me before we started recording, um, so two quotes that sum up the message of the movie: some things are more important than gigs, like self-respect and our freedom. And I just felt, is this a message to the fans about the horrors of being controlled by Simon Fuller? <laughs> I think so, it is. It's subliminal like a, message. Yeah, it is, yeah. And the other one was, it's about friendship and commitment. And so, you know, they're friends and they're on this bus, this Union Jack bus going around London. It's very weird, the bus. I thought it, inside it looked like the set of, um, you know, a, a sort of reality show. Maybe like the diary room of uh, Big Brother or something yes, like that. Yes, it did. Except it was before Big Brother, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, 97. Uh, so. Yeah. So they said that it's, it's about friendship and commitment. And they have this friend. Um, I forget what the friend's called because she only appears in it very briefly to say that she's pregnant and then to have a baby later on. And she sort of disappears through most of the film. I wasn't sure what the point of that friend was, um, as in what what her point was in the um, in the narrative and in the plot. It's to show that the Spice Girls don't just hobnob with famous people; they also keep friends from before. Right. Okay. Even, yeah. Even though for, even though they've totally forgotten about for most of the movie, they they got their feet on the ground. But I enjoyed. I yeah. You know what? Um, this isn't the worst one of the ones we're discussing that I had to watch. It's bad, but there was the odd moment of the film, despite the manufacturedness of it, that reminded me of The Beatles slightly because it reminded me of how fun it is to be young and to be in a gang mm. and, having, and having larks. And that's basically what the film is about. They just have larks. There, you know, there are a lot of fantasy sequences. Okay, so you're right. They do, they do have the sort of like the girl power thing is, is being kind of played to the max. And it's, it's about, um, you know, a bunch of friends having a good time and not just wanting to play gigs all the time. But there um, is quite shameful how many faces there are in this film, either playing cameos or, or playing, um, playing actual roles, um, but who are just kind of thrown away with, with sort of abandon. Um, yeah. So, for example, I'm just going to run through the list. It's got Roger Moore. Their, their manager is Richard E. Grant, uh, who plays Clifford, who is actually throughout most of the movie and, and, and does, does a credible job, I think. But... Yeah, but the thing is, you're supposed to feel sympathy for him or something, but he's just appalling. Like, he's appalling to his woman friend, who's his assistant, I think. Oh, yes, yeah. Or his co-manager. I, I'm... He's a bit Alan Partridge in that respect. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, he is, yeah. Exactly. Then you've got Barry Humphreys and Jason Fleming and Richard O'Brien, who are also all involved with this tabloid that's chasing them around. Um, and a guy called Mark McKinney, who, like, I was kind of... Um, I remember interviewing him once. Um, oh, really? Yeah, when I was uh, reviewing... Uh, do you remember Guy Madden, the Canadian director? I do, very well, yes. Uh, he made a movie called The Saddest Music in the World. So, yeah, Mark McKinney was in this thing called Kids in the Hall, a uh, Canadian sort of comedy sketch show, um, and then became an actor later on. And he has a similarly incomprehensible role as a Hollywood screenwriter who's kind of working on the story of the Spice Girls' life. Uh, another narrative strand that doesn't really kind of pan out in any um, recognisable way. Um, but he's actually, he's a good actor, Mark McKinney, and it's, he's, he's sort of somewhat wasted in this. But. I've never, I never saw him before. I would say that that bit, I think, was trying and failing to be like a meta bit, like, hey, we really are making up the movie as we're going along. Yes, so, and that, that, that sort of becomes idea. obvious at the end, doesn't it, I yeah. think. Um, uh, <clears throat> but then I you mean, have this, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, it would all be fine if the songs were good enough. I mean, they're, 
they're not exactly irritating the songs they're just not very good and the only really talented one is Mel C Mel B's all right and the rest of them the other yeah, she three, can I mean, she can she can belt it out but to, to be honest most of them are not particularly great singers mm-hmm. um they are two the the two males I guess are the biggest kind of personalities in it sort of vocally speaking um Victoria Adams as she was then it just sort of looks sullen all the time, thinking yeah. that thinking that makes her look mysterious. Um, I was thinking about uh, Posh Spice Victoria because I was watching this on YouTube and I was reading some of the comments below it because you know it wasn't it wasn't holding my attention very well. <laughs> and, um, and most of the comments they love Posh Spice. She she became like the favorite Spice Girl yeah. somehow. And it's really weird because she's the one with the least amount of talent. But I was thinking, well, maybe that's why. Girl, you know, she's clearly not posh. You know, she's from Essex or whatever. But she does uh, occasionally lapse into posh talk and then back into Essex. Yeah, that's point, true. Which yeah. is just slightly jarring and weird. Yeah, exactly. She'll have, um, she'll, um, exactly. She'll have um, some gravid lax with a, uh, with a bag of chips, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and I just thought that maybe... People respond to Victoria because, you know, she is somehow there. And so they can project themselves to her more than anything. And she's done the best out of any of them, really, isn't she? Well, uh, yes, I wonder if it's kind of retrospective and they're just looking at her dazzling career with, you know, her football husband and her um, fashion label and and all the rest of it. Um, It's possible. Because she hasn't really made much of a career in music following uh, the Spice Girls. I think she did a couple of singles. She did an album. It's got her with a panther on the front. Right, okay. I mean, that alone makes it better than anything the Spice Girls did. Yeah, well, okay, that's that's yeah, that's yeah, pretty special. But yes, there's, I mean, there's just these horrifying cameos. So you have Elton John in it, which is not a surprise. You know, Elton John likes likes to be seen. But uh, there's, a sort, <laughs> there's a sort of suggestion that, like, they are so hot that, like, even Elton John, who's like the gayest of the gay, uh, is is a little bit taken with them. I don't mind that, though. I don't see... I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people today would go, oh, my God, that's so disgusting and anti-LBGT or whatever. But the thing is, there are some men that I would go gay for. I mean, Killian Murphy, for instance. Right. But if he popped up at my house, you know, I'd send out Michelle with some money for the cinema. And And she'd just go, right, just like like that. I can imagine Michelle going... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, she would. Well, I think she likes him too. But, I, you know, I, it's like, why is that such a bad thing? I don't I don't see why it's such a bad thing. It's fine, really. You know, it's like people are so it's like, oh, my God, are you trying to it's not it's not like Ginger Spice is trying to do like um, a Christian fundamentalist gay conversion therapy on him. Do you know what I mean? She's just trying to feel him up a bit in a kind of jokey way. And they're all in on the joke. You know, I mean, even Nelson Mandela said meeting the Spice Girls was the greatest moment of his life. Right. To be honest, though, up until that point, he'd spent most of his life in jail. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. It kind of put, it puts it in perspective. Mm. Um, I mean, there's lot, uh, there's lots of people who just turn up as themselves. I think Jonathan Ross, Bob Geldof. It's a slightly horrifying rehearsal sequence of Jules Holland um sort of leaving oh, yeah. rehearsals where it's quite obvious that they just can't sing that well um yeah. that's when their f- pregnant friend turns up and then disappears from right yeah. yeah um Me- meatloaf is their bus driver which i quite enjoyed yes it doesn't i can't remember the context but like obviously there's the obvious joke about where he says i won't do that in reference to that song that goes on forever that was yeah. a, also at number one forever um, yeah, there's the inevitable Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie characters playing a de- 
a detective and a judge, which is just kind of like standard Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry. I couldn't yeah. couldn't quite see the point of it. Um, but I think the the ones that really did my head in was like Bob Hoskins just appears playing himself. Don't quite understand that. And then um, uh, Jerry Halliwell turns into Bob Hoskins in a Wonder Woman sequence. It's, it's, Does she? I, okay, no, God, for no think, reason at all. I don't know why this happens. Um, I think we were both a bit disgusted that uh, Elvis Costello is thrown in as a barman there. I've written here, um, Elvis, Elvis Costello's appearance is disappointing and unnecessary, like his cover version of She by Charles Aznavour, <laughs> which, which is in the film Notting Hill. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know this because I was looking him up after seeing him in Spice World. And um, did you know his real name is Declan Patrick Al- Aloysius McManus? No, that's a great name. Why didn't it he is use good, that? Isn't it? That's way better Al- than Elvis Costello. Aloysius McManus is like a sort of um, like the fey end of goth, isn't it? You can imagine a band called Aloysius McManus. You know? Yeah, or maybe like a 60s sort of, uh, you know, Jamaican ska artist. <laughs> or like Canterbury folk music, uh, folk scene. And so, now... many, so many things he could have been, but he chose to be Elvis Costello. That's why yeah. he ended up in the Spice Girls movie. Exactly. Whereas he could have been like, he could have been there and now we, that was um, Candlelight by Pentangle. And now (laughs) Aloysius McManus with uh, the barley is coming in or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Um, But my favorite bits about this actually were, um, so there's this weird sort of dress up session where I think they go to a photo shoot and they sort of play dress up. Yeah. And then there's um, then they dress up as each other, which is actually one of the best jokes in the movie, I think. Yes, that's um, quite good. Yeah, a moment of wit in an otherwise quite witless film. My mum is my best friend. I'm just too posh. When a little boy gonna win the cup blind game? Are we finished yet? Uh, blah 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 um, girl power feminism you know what I mean but I suppose the whole point about this film is just like you watch it if you're a Spice Girls fan if you're not a Spice Girls fan you probably wouldn't go and see it but it probably wouldn't persuade you that the Spice Girls are a great band either but then maybe <laughs> the whole point of these movies is that they are just there for you know it's another opportunity to kind of engage with, with your idols in a way that is kind of vicarious and makes you feel somewhat, you know, closer to them, especially when they you throw in the themes about them just sort of being ordinary girls with their feet on the ground because of their pregnant friend who they occasionally refer to. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that's point, right. Yeah. It's pointless to be kind of too overly critical of these <laughs> of these things, I guess. However, <laughs> I. Th- <laughs> Uh, when we come to some of the films that you've watched and I haven't, um, uh, I don't know if you're ready to walk, talk about Moonwalker, but um, I feel somewhat guilty um, in that I intended to watch this and then didn't get around to it, whereas you sort of had to sit through at least half of it. Um, yeah. This is, a, this is a very different proposition, right? He comes from a place beyond the stars to take them to a world beyond their dreams. So I'll just I'll just take you a brief do a brief precy of the film. So like the first twenty minutes is of Michael Jackson from childhood from the late sixties to the present day which was 1988 and his incredible life because he was I mean you know there's no doubt about it you mean it's kind of documentary footage or it's it's kind of actual clips from TV or or it's or it's a, a sort of it's just clips after clip after clip of TV thrown at you this montage that lasts for the first 20 minutes of the film is so intense that I felt like Alex in A Clockwork Orange you know, who's forced to watch like snuff movies while behavioral scientists occasionally drop water into my crusting eyeballs. I mean, it was that. It was just, it's just right because so his, eye, his eyelids are pinned back. Yeah. 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 Exactly. After this sequence, the movie starts 
and he's in the movie studios um, running away from vulgar American tourists who are also fans of his, who weirdly are animated in plasticine. And, I, and he sort of runs away giggling like it's sort of hide and seek, but also he does want to get away from them. He turns into a plasticine, plasticine rabbit and races away through the city and then into the desert. And then there's this weird bit where he kind of disengages from his rabbit self and they have like a dance off together and then they're told off by a policeman. Uh, okay. Yeah. Then because because so, they're fucking with quantum physics or just because they're dancing in the wrong place? Quantum, <laughs> quantum disentanglement or something. <laughs> then it changes to Neverland, his Neverland ranch, and he's with three kids and they lose a frisbee and they and he goes with one of the kids into a dark cave which eventually leads to an industrial basement where Joe Pesci this is already sounding quite alarming I have to say has assembled lots of criminals dressed as riot police in a kind of base of operations to sell drugs to kids and the drugs are symbolized by tarantulas there are tarantulas everywhere and then sort of more shit happens there's a length more lengthy Pop video sequences, especially Smooth Criminal, which goes on for about 15 minutes, which I fast-forwarded through. And to fight Joe Pesci and his fascist drug goons, because they, they look like fascist riot police from South America or whatever. Jackson turns into a supercar to begin with, and then he turns into a kind of a transformer robot. Yeah, naturally. And then, and then into a spaceship, and he blows up. Joe Pesci. I was trying to make sense of this film afterwards because it really doesn't make any sense at all. I think most of it is him saying, you know, my life is a very dark fairy tale. Please, please help me before I become something else and begin hurting children. Mm. That, that seemed to be the message of the film. Okay. I got a lot better. Munching away at eggy wigs and lomtics of toast and lovely steaky wigs. I thought I'd express my own pain about, well, forcing myself to watch the Pet Shop Boys film. So they did a film called I, It Couldn't Happen Here. Where are you going? I'm going there. But I like it here, whatever it is. Do you want a drink? No, thank you. That's very nice. Now I'll get the waiter. What do I mean by, you know, a film that exists purely to promote um, a band or a singer or, you know, a pop star? Um, This is actually the first one that came to mind. At the time when it came out, late 80s, I I wasn't particularly a Pet Shop Boys fan. I I didn't dislike them, but I wasn't really into them. Uh, And this film came out and I kind of thought, why would you do that? It looks awful. It's, I mean, it's got Barbara Windsor in for a start. Um, <laughs> and it was pretty roundly panned at the time. But I sort of, in some ways, I kind of admire them for making this film because I, I read something that Neil Tennant said in an interview where he said, well, we could have made that kind of standard um, sort of road to success movie where it's just about us doing kind of bigger and bigger gigs and then like it culminates in the big gig at the big venue that that kind of makes us as um musicians which is pretty much what happens in spice world um so instead they decided to make uh, a sort of uh, well what is ostensibly a surrealist movie but is um also just a a succession of pop videos kind of stitched together with one of the loosest narratives to a mm. movie that I think I've ever encountered. It's not as surrealist as, mon- as the monkey's head. And this is chaotic, but just because it's really hard to follow. Um, but it's actually also kind of quite plodding as well, which is not um, yeah. not a characteristic that I really associate with surrealism. Um, you know, when you look at kind of... Uh, Dali or Bunuel movies, you know, they're 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 either shocking or they're eye-opening, literally, um, or they they don't they don't they don't plot. No, they don't know. hang about. I mean, there's a lots of moving from one, um, you know, one incredible scenario to the next. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is essentially a, a, a series of music videos, um, some of which will be sort of familiar, even if you 
don't follow the Pet Shop Boys. Um, like the the video to Always on My Mind um, is one that kind of stuck in in my head because it's just so sinister. Um, and it's is that the, is that the bit with Josh? Yeah, Ackland? that's right. Josh Ackland in the back of a, a yeah. what I thought was a taxi, but it was actually a car driven by the 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 PSBs mm. as we shall refer to them from now on. Um, but yeah, I wrote down that it's like a mu- movie version of Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell, which is a book that he's kind of celebrated for. And parts of it are great, but I actually thought it was, it just seemed like a collection of short stories that weren't really linked, but had this really weak narrative theme sort of artificially inserted into each of them to, to try and link them together. I don't know if you've read it. No, but you know there is a there is a movie version. Mm, of yeah, I haven't seen it. Uh, um, with Tom Hanks plays a cannibal, right? Which is a bit, you know, it's stretching him. He's usually playing Mister Nice Guy. I mean, maybe he is Mister Nice Guy, but it happens to eat people. I don't know because I don't know. I haven't read the book or seen the film, but it's it's by the people who made the Matrix. Okay, yes. So the. I think, again, the opening quotes um, or one of the standout quotes in the movie sort of sums up why it doesn't work. Um, and it's it's cited by Neil Tennant in his sort of slightly dead voice, um, which is, ever since I was a child, the comic and the hostile seem to go hand in hand, which sort of doesn't really mean anything. He's not really presenting a, a kind of um, a binary opposition there. Um, it's almost like when he tries to be funny, people are just hostile because he's not very funny or, you know what? It's just, it, it's sort of, it sounds like it should be quite meaningful and portentous or witty, but it just doesn't quite come off. And that, that I, I agree. It doesn't quite come off, but isn't he trying to say, cause it's all set around a seaside yeah. town and it's a kind of, these places are hostile, but they're also kind of comic at the same time. There's a kind of threat. There's a threat and there's a comedy in them. Yes, yes. And I suppose if if he'd actually pinned that to something specific, like my life or, you know, Mm. the place where I grew up, but he just refers to them in the abstract. So it sort of seems a bit meaningless. The comic and the hostile. I I think the problem is that instead of making themselves the bystanders, they are the central characters, but they're both very blank, mm. which is, is a part of their shtick on, on stage. And, you know, um, as, as kind of celebrities, I think they've always retreated mm. from that celebrity persona um, and, and kind of retreated behind the music. But then you have this kind of bizarre array of uh, British acting faces. So Jock Act, Joss Ackland's in it, as you mentioned, um, as this mm. sort of sinister priest stroke con man stroke um, serial killer. Um, Gareth Hunt, who's who was a sort of staple of 70s and 80s TV and the mm. um, Maxwell House coffee adverts, I seem to remember, in the, in the yeah. 80s. He'd shake his hand and it was full of coffee yeah, beans. Yeah, that's the one. Um, yeah, it used to fascinate me as a child. Yeah, where did they come from? And why aren't, why aren't well, there exactly. any actual coffee beans in, in Maxwell House, the freeze-dried coffee? <laughs> well, I didn't get that far. For me, it was just this, the, the, the child's delight, like when uh, a magician pulls um, a 10p piece. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah, sleight of hand. I just thought, this, is, this guy's incredible. What, what, what else could he do? I quite, I actually quite like Gareth Hunt in this movie. He plays a series of sort of grotesques, I suppose, starting off with this mm. angry man in a um, in a beachside um, sort of kiosk, complaining about all of the uh, tourists sort of clogging up the place. Who refers to as politicians for some weird reason. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was quite nice. That was quite good. That was near the beginning of the movie, and I thought, oh, hang on, this might be quite good. And then you've got Barbara Windsor, who actually is very good in this, I think. Uh, initially playing a kind of boarding house um, owner and and sort of proprietor. Um, and then later Neil Tennant's mum, I think. Um, but doing sort oh, of yes, like reliable right, yeah. Barbara Windsor, uh, Gore Blimey kind of um, every woman characters. 
Did she die last year, Barbara? Uh, I think it was last year or the year before. It's fairly recently. Because there was some piece about how she was actually quite a good actress um, before Carry On sort of sucked mm. her in. And I was just thinking, you know, because that's the thing, she's always reliably Babs Winter, mm. you know. And it's like, I wonder what her Lady Macbeth might have been. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> you know what I mean? Obviously. Oh, out you damn spot, you bloody not. With, with Gareth, uh, Gareth Hunt as Macbeth, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Shaking his fist. This entire film, I just, it was such a struggle to get through, despite the fact that I like Gareth Hunt and Maxwell House. Um, I just couldn't, I couldn't stand it. I was, I was hoping that it would be, you know, lively and witty in between the songs, which I, not really my cup of tea, but I began to really hate the songs. Like, I'm, I'm glad that it evokes um, uh, an extreme emotion in you, though, because like, I was, um, I was just rather bored throughout this. But, and I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily share, share your uh, disdain for the PSBs. I, I quite like some of their songs, or even though I was never particularly a fan at the time. Um, but it's just such a mistake to have them. Uh, at the centre of it, um, rather than their right. music, um, and their yeah. music is somewhat sidelined at points. Um, it's just that the lyrics get recited endlessly throughout it, which seems a little bit—I uh, don't know—overly grandiose somehow. I just—it's re- just really rubbed me up the wrong way. This one, I just thought because um, I—I. I didn't disdain them before that. I just didn't really care about mm. them. Uh, it's not my cup of tea. But after watching this film, I thought, yes, I hate the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> In the same way that, including myself, some people say, yes, I hate Coldplay. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, which is a great affirmative, isn't it? It's like you're coming back to life. <laughs> you know, you, you've been through the the dark, forest you've been lost in a forest half midway through life listening to Coldplay and then you eschew them and lo and behold you come back to paradise and we'll take that <laughs> anyway let's talk about Purple Rain because uh, um, yeah I think this is actually the most enjoyable out of the films that I now wish I hadn't watched at all um, <laughs> yeah and uh well you did quite extensive notes on this um so uh i'll i'll let you kind of um deliver the uh deliver the verdict on this but i think one of the reasons why i like this is because prince is playing a, a character it's obviously a version of himself but he is actually playing a character it's not just he's going through the motions of like hey i'm prince um this is why you should love me and my music so much and actually, he can kind of act. He's not too bad an actor. Um, no, he's not. He's not bad at all. Uh, he can, yeah. you know, he can do emotions. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called So Prince is a singer in a Minneapolis band. He's called The Kid. And his band is called The Revolution. And it is a bit silly because despite featuring some of the most talented musicians on the planet, including Prince himself, obviously, they're just a cult act. Everybody, you know, the club owners and everybody else thinks, oh, you know, what's going on here, you know, um, even though... They're playing, you know, they're clearly all virtuosos and amazing. Um, and uh, Prince has an attitude problem, uh, which which interferes with the band, uh, because his dad is a wife beater. Uh, he's got a couple of female, sexy female members of the band. I don't know whether one's Sheena Easton, maybe. No, I think it's sure. just pre-Sheena Easton. This is where Wendy yeah. and Lisa. Uh, Wendy and Lisa. Who... I don't know whether they were like co-writers, but but in this film they they write 
songs for the band. Yeah, well, they want to write songs for the band, but Prince won't let them because he's too messed up by his own background. Um, then he meets Apollonia, who's this sexy musician new in town, and they start a relationship. And like Apollo, Apollonia is a stabilizing influence on the purple Dionysian prince, right? But he makes Apollonia jump into a, a, a lake naked for a joke. That was a kind of weird scene. Yeah, I enjoyed that scene. Yeah, well, you know, Apollonia I, I, is um, a very attractive woman, but um, it, it... I, I, I felt uncomplicated enjoyment <laughs> watching that scene. I was slightly disturbed by the fact that she's sort of dressed like either like a stripper or a dominatrix throughout. Um, that that's it. That was, but but that was the kind of his fashion, and you know, that was a kind of fashion. You know, if you look at the hair metal bands at yeah. the time. Well, there's a brilliant scene where, um, so he's come back from the club, he's had a bad night, driving his purple motorbike with, with its sort of like yeah. um, curvy purple fairing, gets off his bike in outside his parents' house, um, and he's, <laughs> he's wearing his kind of like purple frock coat and his like frilly, frilly yeah. white shirt, and he's got his white high-heeled boots, and he jumps off his bike and he's just outside this like really standard suburban house. And suddenly, suddenly <laughs> he just kind of looks like um, a kid playing dress up rather than like, you know, this rock god. The good thing about Prince is that I think he did recognize that or the filmmakers did recognize mm. that, that that's part of his, his, his arc, that he is this, you know, dreamer like um, David Bowie, you know, in the suburbs or mm. whatever, desperate to get away, but he's but he's also got this violence at home, and um, I like it because he—that's the thing—he sort of dresses like a stripper sometimes, but before he does that, before he starts taking off stuff on stage, he looks like Austin Powers. He does look like Austin Powers. Nice. I thought that about the shirt. Nice. <laughs> at some point, he hits Apollonia. And Prince realizes he's become like his dad, who's all, who's actually a failed musician. Yeah. His dad. Just don't but like I, I'll just briefly explain the scenario. You've got this weird situation where this club, which is like the best club in the city, only seems to feature yeah. three acts who are on constant rotation. Yeah. So when they're sort of the revolution's biggest rivals, who are called the Time, I think. That's right. Led by Morris Day when he kind of endeavours to set up a, this new girl band called Apollonia 6 featuring Apollonia. Um, obviously, that means that, you know, uh, the revolution are going to crash out of their residency at the club because you can only have three bands playing there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't understand that plot, plot point at all. It's just like there are seven days. Yeah, I know. What are you going on about? I, I, this, is um, a, this is a city that is bereft of musical acts, but... Um, it is Minneapolis, though. Well, I think the, po- the point is that um, so Morris Day's band plays a sort of, it's kind of a, a sort of West Coast take on funk, I guess. But it's, it's sort of quite backward looking. It's very 70s sounding. And Prince, is, Prince yeah. and the revolution are the future because they have synths and, um, you know, they, their guitars have chorus and flanger pedal sounds, which I uniquely associate with the 80s and uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> with terrible guitar music um so it's it's sort of i guess it's kind of making a point that like you know he's young and he's the future and these guys are old hat but it was uh i mean i don't think it's got you know it's clearly not got all of prince's greatest songs on it um but um I did think it was quite a good vehicle for the music i mean there's lots of showing off on stage whether it's kind of playing mm. Um, ridiculous guitar solos or riding around on top of a speaker stack. But I think the reason why this, where this kind of falls down and a film like Eight Mile, which is actually quite similar in some ways, uh, succeeds, apart from the fact that it's just a much better made film, is there's no real jeopardy in this, is there? It's kind of like they've basically got to overcome the two other acts in in the city yeah. to um to sort of win out and and kind of go on to great stuff. It's like a really simple version of the Eurovision Song yeah. Contest. 
Man. I don't know. Life's a bitch. So what, let's move on to honourable mentions, films that we probably should have watched instead of these. Uh, yeah, well, I've got two. And the first one is Rock and Roll High School, which I think was at least written by Joe Dante, if not directed by him. And it's the Ramones film. So, this is the type of behaviour that I can expect. The minute there's not a teacher in the room, the entire school erupts into a shameless display of adolescent abandon. This incident is going down on your permanent record, a record that's going to follow you throughout your entire life. You have managed to upset the entire school with its godforsaken noise. Noise? That's the Ramones' best album. Number one with a bullet. PJ Souls, who was actually 29 at the time, but is playing a 17-year-old. She's, she's <laughs> right. absolutely great. She's called Riff Randall, and um, she skip school to um, get the Ramones tickets. At the same time, uh, Mary Warrenov, who is a Warhol superstar and great artist, and she's the principal and she wants to, you know, she's like a little fascist, wants to make the school not listen to the Ramones. <laughs> At one point, they create <laughs> right, a okay. lab rat, but they expose a lab rat to the Ramones and the lab rat turns into kind of a human being with a, still with a rat face. Um, with, <laughs> okay. with 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 like a leather jacket and goes to the Ramones concert. It's really the whole okay. thing is now, absolute... now it sounds like the young ones. Yes, well it is. Yeah. I think it probably was an influence on the young ones. It's really silly. If you're not into the Ramones, you might find it a bit tiresome. But I still yeah. think it's. I How can th- you not be into the Ramones? You'll be dead from the neck up. Well, exactly. And I do think it's got, it's just a lot of fun. And at the end, the school blows up. I can't quite remember why. And, you know, you can just have a great time to it, you know. Uh, yeah, if you're not having a good time in a film that's a, uh, ostensibly about music or a vehicle for music, then something's wrong. The music is different here. The vibrations are different. Not like Planet Rave. Planet Rave's sound of guns, anger, frustration. There was no one to talk to from Planet Earth, you understand. We set up a colony of black people here. See what they can do on the planet all down without any white people there. They could drink in the beauty of this planet. It would affect their vibrations for the better, of course. Another place in the universe, up under different stars. That would be where the altered destiny would come in. Equation-wise, the first thing to do is to consider time as officially ended. We work on the other side of time. The other one is Space is the Place with Sun Ra. This is the Sun Ra film and his orchestra. Mm. This sounds insane. Yeah, it's great music. He comes down in his spaceship to get people woke, I suppose, through his um, amazing space jazz and um, eventually Earth blows up. He plays dice with the devil, and then and there's lots of scenes where they play jazz to try and enlighten other black people, mostly. This is with his orchestra yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. And so Earth blows up, and Sun Ra and many enlightened uh, black fans escape in his spaceship to bring intergalactic jazz to the solar system and beyond. It's most, yeah, I mean, again, there's very little plot to it, but the music is amazing. I quite like his style of just, like, saying, Earth is fucked. (laughs) 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 I could live as a spaceman. So those are the ones that I think are pretty good outside of the the good Elvis and the good Beatles ones. Um, I kind of like the idea of intergalactic space jazz as well. It does sound like something out of a... uh, Douglas Adams book. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a shame that some bands never got to make movies. Like, I'd like to have seen Joy Division in a movie, like a. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like Joy Division in Clambake. Ian Curtis has to kind of escape his rich father to build a speedboat <laughs> down in Florida. And Hooky comes along. But they're all talking with Mank accents. Yeah. But they're down in Florida. Right. 
and uh, you know stuff like that or um yeah let's have let's have an elvis style sort of um light-hearted romp suddenly they find themselves in hawaii for instance the joy division in hawaii yeah this is, <laughs> that, that, that. <laughs> yeah and they all have to you know they all have to have the the garlands and the hawaiian shirts around yeah and beach shorts um and and they're presumably quite pale torsos yes uh, on display Yes. After decades in the uh, the Manchester rain. The pale torsos are somehow connected with the plot. Like they managed to reflect the sun <laughs> to like heat the barbecue or something like that. You know, what other bands? Well, I mean, the Fall movie. The Fall. You know. Oh, God, that would be amazing. You see, I think to, to hark back to your early hatred of um, sort of movie title mashups or genre mashups. It would be like uh, the monkeys film, but on special brew. Yeah, it would. Yeah, so it'd actually feel quite nasty, and they'd be, like it would be shot on VHS on acid when you're surrounded by like lots of really sinister people. Yeah, and um, then and then uh, Marky Smith sidles up to you and talks about devil worship in Berry, and uh, yeah, that's I think that'd be amazing. Uh, you could do a kind of cross between Kez and the Wicker Man with the full shot on VHS. I think that'd be great. Yeah, I'd quite like to see something featuring Can, you know, like some sort of... Um, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Psych- psychedelic sort of mystery. Sort of in the manner of a lot of the films that like uh, Pink Floyd produced uh, music yeah. for, but with the insanity of Can. I could imagine something done by... One of those German New Wave people with Can in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not Fassbinder, but maybe someone like Herzog or who's that other guy, Volker Schlondorf. Oh, Herzog and Can, that would be a devastating combination. Can you imagine? I think I can, yeah. I wouldn't see anything erotical here. I would see fornication and asphyxiation and choking and fighting for survival and growing and just rotting away of course there's a lot of misery but it is the same misery that is all around us the trees here are in misery and the birds are in misery I don't think they they sing they just screech in pain You've been listening to Call in the Night Boys with Gavin Nick. Today you heard excerpts from Rock and Roll High School by Alan R. Cush, Labyrinth by Jim Henson, Clambake by Arthur H. Nadel, Head by Bob Raffleson, Spice World by Bob Spears, Moonwalker by Jerry Kramer and Colin Chilvers, A Clockwork Orange by Stanley Kubrick, It Couldn't Happen Here by Jack Bond, Purple Rain by Albert Magnoli, Space is the Place by John Coney, Burden of Dreams by Les Blank, and I'm So Green by Can. Please legally stream, buy on physical copy, or download any of these films and music. And I hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time. Bye!